Tobacco's uh, sales culture, market and sell enormous volume, go to a lot of golf tournaments, the hell with everything else. I mean, what are you doing? Why are you working for tobacco in the first place? I can't talk about it. <laughs> the work I was supposed to do might, might have had some positive effect. I don't know. It could have been beneficial. Mostly, I got paid a lot. I took the money. My wife was happy. My kids had good medical, good schools. Got a great house. I mean, what the hell is wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. That's it. You're making money. You're providing for your family. What could be wrong with that? That's not good enough. This guy is the top scientist in the number three tobacco company in America. He's a corporate officer. You never get whistleblowers from Fortune 500 companies. This guy is the ultimate insider. He's got something to say. He wants to say it. I want it on 60 Minutes. Doesn't matter what Look, he wants. Am I missing something? What here? do you mean, Mike? I mean, he's got a corporate secrecy agreement. Give me a break. I mean, this is a public health issue, like an unsafe airframe on a passenger jet or some company dumping cyanide into the East River. Issues like that. He can talk, we can air it. They've got no right to hide behind a corporate agreement. Pass the note. Can't seem to find the criteria to decide. It's too big a decision to make without being resolved in my own mind. Maybe things have changed. And hopefully we won't have to use the alternate, but we should have it in the can. I'm not touching my film. I'm afraid you are. No, I'm not. We're doing this with or without you, Lowell. If you like, I can assign another producer to edit your show. Since when has the uh, paragon of investigative journalism allowed lawyers to determine the news content on 60 Minutes? It's an alternate version. So what if we have an alternate version? And I don't think her being cautious is so damned unreasonable. And you're questioning our journalistic integrity. No, I'm questioning your hearing. You hear reasonable and tortious interference. I hear potential Brown and Williamson lawsuit jeopardizing the sale of CBS to Westinghouse. I hear shut the segment down, cut Wigan loose, obey orders, and fuck off. That's what I hear. You're exaggerating. I am? You pay me to go get guys like Wigan, to draw him out, to get him to trust us, to get him to go on television. I do. I deliver him. He sits, he talks. He violates his own fucking confidentiality agreement. And he's only the key witness in the biggest public health reform issue, maybe the biggest, most expensive corporate malfeasance case in U.S. history. And Jeffrey Wigand, who's out on the limb, does he go on television and tell the truth? Yes. Is it newsworthy? 
Yes. Are we going to air it? Of course not. Why? Because he's not telling the truth. No, because he is telling the truth. That's why we're not going to air it. And the more truth he tells, the worse it gets. You are a fanatic, an anarchist, you know that? If we can't have a whole show, then I want half a show rather than no show. But oh no, not you. You won't be satisfied unless you're putting the company at risk. What are you? Are you a businessman or are you a newsman? Because that happens to be what Mike and I and some other people around here do for a living. Lowell. Put the corporation at risk? Give me a fucking break. Lowell. These people are putting our whole reason for doing what we do on the line. Lowell. What? I'm with Don on this. Yes, is under criticism because the CBS News program 60 Minutes will not be presenting an interview. What the hell are you doing? Well, what does it look like I'm doing? I'm editing. No, no, not that. I'm talking about the Associated Press. They got the story that we pulled this interview and they talked to Mike and I. Did you tell them that we were lying? No, I should have. I told them I disagreed with you, Mike, and Cluster that this segment is as good as the original. I'm not lying for you. I'm not going to shut up for you. Not on any of it. Hey, I'm not going to fire you, okay? Take a vacation, now. So it's a big country? With a free press, you can go work somewhere else. Free press? Press is free. Anyone who owns one. Larry Tish has a free press. Get some perspective, Lord. I got perspective. No, you do not. From my perspective, what's been going on and what I've been doing is ridiculous. It's half measures. Newspaper and its key claim indicates that many of the serious allegations against Mr. Wygan are backed by scans or contradictory evidence. This news division has been vilified in the New York Times, in print, on television, for caving the corporate The New York Times ran a blow-by-blow blow of what we talked about behind closed doors. You fucked us. No, you fucked you. Don't invert stuff. Big Tobacco tried to smear Wigan. You bought it. The Wall Street Journal here, not exactly a bastion of anti-capitalist sentiment, refutes Big Tobacco's smear campaign as the lowest form of character assassination. And now, even now, when every word of what Wigan has said on our show is printed, the entire deposition of his testimony in a court of law in the state of Mississippi, the cat totally out of the bag, you're still standing here debating. Don, what the hell else do you need? Mike, you tell him. You fucked up, Don. Oh, that, that's fame. Fame has a 15-minute half-life. Infamy lasts a little longer. We caved. It's foolish. It's simply dead wrong. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going over to BlackRock. CBS management wouldn't let us broadcast our original story and our interview with Jeffrey Wigand because they were worried about the possibility of a multi-billion dollar lawsuit against us for tortious interference. But now things have changed. You wish you hadn't blown the whistle? Yeah, there are times I wish I hadn't done it. There are times I feel com compelled to do it. You ask me, would I do it again? Do I think it's worth it? Yeah, I think it's worth it.
massive hiatus with a major, <laughs> major uh, life transition happening. Every time I check in to my podcast, uh, it seems the um, the arc of my life takes a new turn. Anyhow, um, I'm very happy to report that I'm in USA. Um, it's been a long, strange trip to get here. But I've been thoroughly enjoying America, um, and there's still a lot of great, great character and freedom-loving mindset here, uh, as well as, of course, governance and Bill of Rights, etc. So I'll get into that in a second. The movie, uh, the lead in there was The Insider. I believe it was an Academy Award winner, but I want to share uh, that the movie grabbed me. I remembered it as a whistleblower theme, and so it grabbed me a couple weeks ago to, to check back in with it and remind myself, but I watched it a couple of times, and the role that the Al Pacino character played uh, really impressed me and resonates with me. So I'll, I'll get into that in a second, as well as the closing piece I've included. I just want to... Um, update a little bit on my new perspectives on some matters and many of my sources are unchanged really um, through this whole journey. I hope you're all doing well. Uh, it seems to me I'm really feeling for the youth of USA. I happen to have a few friends in the education business and uh, it's just really really tragic and it's hard to even put your finger on all the forces at work, but um, broken homes is definitely one of them. Uh, materialism, uh, loss of tradition, loss of faith, loss of community. There's a whole host of confusing distractions, and I think as a result, uh, kids these days are being easily taken off course. Um, at the same time, of course, they are, they are also our greatest hope. <laughs> so uh, I don't want to be too melodramatic, but wow, there, there's meth problems and opium problems and heroin problems in some of the richest, wealthiest, proudest parts of the country. It's, it's, really, uh, it's really tough to take sometimes. Anyhow, I just want to, I guess I'll review some of the sources that, um, that I still hang on to. For daily sense making and uh, and some of my renewed perspective on the hopes for us all, and then I'll I'll walk through this journey with this film that I that I still love to check in with actually <laughs> after watching it a couple times I still like to watch it again. In terms of sources, I do think we're in a, a war of words still. It's getting very close to a hotter war than that. But in terms of the war of words, I, th I think uh, Ryan Christian still, um, on a daily basis, is able to uh, decode decode the games being played with the words from within the actual main narrative. I think that's really powerful because it takes you away from being accused of being conspiratorial when you're taking the narrative inside the mainstream narrative and being able to just cut it to shreds from their own words and their own sources and their own data. 
Um, so on a daily basis, I would say the Dakota ring goes to Ryan Christian. Uh, Whitney Webb is just about to have her second baby, um, but I just heard a great talk between Ryan and, and Whitney maybe two days ago, uh, summarizing everything, including some aspects of the Epstein case. The Epstein case, I'm afraid, is starting to appear like the fix is in, but hopefully, um, just like the Ryan Wittenhouse case, hopefully justice, hopefully the judicial system can't escape the justice, although there's all kinds of tricks being played. Um, and as Whitney mentioned a few times, from the outset, there was distance trying to keep a firewall between Ghislaine Maxwell and her ties to um, intelligence as uh, MI6 and CIA and blackmail and which is really the crux of the matter but anyhow um, so there's concern that the fix is in but I guess we'll we'll wait and see um, for a broader decoder ring I would put a hat off to Bobby Kennedy Jr. from the sounds of things his book um, the real Anthony Fauci I'm hearing from close sources that it's an incredible red pillar for anybody that's on the fence uh, or anybody that even just wants to know facts. Um, that story, I'm told, is you can't turn back from that. <laughs> it's an eye opener. Um, and then ultimately, of course, I'm still a huge fan of Dr. E. Michael Jones, and that's more like a, at a millennial level of Dakota Ring. Uh, he's been able to uh, tie together the patterns and themes uh, really since 0 AD and um, and many of the revolutions and the tie-ins both in the far left and far right. Uh, he gets into that a little bit at the talk at the end. But uh, so those are I those are three of my favorite sources these days. Patrick Coffin has really come a really he's retuned. I mean, he had an incredible event uh, called Truth Over Fear. Uh, this was probably a year ago now. It was so excellent. He's, he, he has managed to influence and connect with an excellent truth network. Um, but I would say from that time forward, he retuned and retooled his own message and probably audience. Uh, and I, I find myself tuning in almost every time because he's got a great way at cutting right through the truth and getting great guests and asking great questions. And so I've been very impressed with Patrick Coffin. Dr. Jordan Peterson, he's been very, very slow <laughs> to wake up to Corona and all its manifestations, which is really strange given all his work he did in the, uh, on the gulags and the uh, communist history. But he seems to be waking up quickly now and speaking out loudly, which is fantastic. Uh, but he's also doing some excellent work at the more spiritual level around meaning. I mean, his, his thing has been meaning for a long time, from probably his first book, from his uh, graduate days, The Maps of Meaning. What he seems to be doing now is making the rounds, interviewing prominent uh, thought leaders to in the process of researching for his for his latest book, which is called We Who Wrestle With God. And I found those talks and interviews and sometimes panel discussions extremely uplifting 
and rewarding. So even though he's been slow to wake up to Corona, <laughs> I, I often find myself tuning in to, to his work. Uh, Michaela has left the country. She's left Canada. So she hasn't shared what it was put her over the edge, but I'm happy for her. I think her husband is Russian and she has a baby girl and I assume they're all together now in Tennessee, I think. Um, but I, and I'm really happy that she's done that. To me, that's a sign of political awakening as well, even if she's not comfortable speaking about it yet. Um, but her podcast has been broadening in perspectives and she'll often take alternative views and interview them both. She's, she's uh, very agreeable and gentle, which probably helps her get, get, get great guests, um, but uh, often inspires great conversations. So I've enjoyed, enjoyed those as well. Uh, Dell Bigtree and the Highwire continues to be one of my favorites. It's a weekly show. I would say the last three or four or five weeks, it's been very uplifting. They've been focusing on very uh, positive news uh, as, as well as their normal research. So I've, I, I rarely uh, let the high wire go by without catching it. Uh, the Corbett Report, the two, the two James, uh, This World This Week, they do a weekly update, which, which is fantastic. The other James has a great show as well. I tuned into that quite a bit. Uh, I'll leave the link on the podcast page. And then culturewars.com. I'd say E. Michael Jones is the podcast. I, the moment it's released, I go and listen <laughs> because I do believe he's got the ultimate Dakota ring, the millennial level Dakota ring uh, to help, really helps understand, helps me understand the the major shifts happening and, and the themes that are going on around us. I guess I'm in a bit of a funny transition myself. For the first, really, the first year of all this, I was focused. The only thing I could consider is getting myself off grid and get, getting my family together with me there. And my first focus on that was trying to stay in the same general time zone of where my employment was for a whole bunch of different reasons. But once it got to, after my last podcast, so April of this year, I realized uh, I was having a calling back to North America and I, I made my way to Mexico, uh, which was a fantastic experience. And then I crossed into USA really just to go visit my kids and do a few other things. Well, I, I didn't really see it all coming. I was still going to try and convince my kids to join me in, my, in Mexico. Well, my homing signal went off as well as when I got up north close to the border, the Canadian border, I really felt a, a deep kinship with the culture, even though it wasn't my culture technically, a lot in common with my culture. And so my idea of off-grid <laughs> has now shifted in the last six months to trying to find a county that represents my values in terms of freedom, and, and essentially the Bill of Rights. I mean, the Bill of Rights is my value system. And uh, so this concept of constitutional sheriffs, CSPOA.org, I think, to me, that's the best chance for the best source of freedom. That is getting into a county that is committed to constitutional governance. Um, in other words, 
not being affected by federal interference on all kinds of these levels. If the Bill of Rights comes first and foremost, um, I, th you know, I think you c you should be able to live quite normally in a county that has committed to that as a value. Uh, that's my so. So I shifted. <laughs> I shifted from the idea of trying to get myself safe and secure in an off-grid situation, um, and unite with my family. I'd rather go much closer to them, and get into a county that is committed to the Bill of Rights and constitutional sheriffs. And uh, to me, that still makes the most sense. And there's a whole lot of history that I'm not so. I've never studied it a whole lot. I've, I've learned from Mark Passio. I left the link to his latest documentary and there's a great summary by a woman who is calling herself Josie the Outlaw uh, I've left that link as well but she went into the trade-offs between the Bill of Rights or basically what was added when the amendments were added and some of the catches that were in the Constitution um, that have been now abused uh, regulation of commerce and military are two of them but anyway it's a very short clip maybe 15 18 minutes Josie the outlaw on the podcast site page that I think draws that line nicely but basically I mean I don't know I mean there's lots and lots of Americans that know the history um, of their communities and how they used to run a hundred years ago with a sheriff <laughs> and a posse probably and currency and all these other things. I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but I believe if you're in a community that's committed to the bill of rights, I think that's your best hope in the short term. I don't, I, I must, I'm, I'm kind of envisioning that DC needs to get cut out of almost everything. I'm not sure you can save it uncorrupted. Maybe we can, I don't know exactly, but, um, the other alternative is states committing to self-governance and cooperating with other states that are committed to self-governance, something like that. I, I can kind of see something like that playing out and evolving, hopefully back to another full union. I do feel for these states like California and Washington, probably Oregon, that have been just overtaken by uh, the mania of oh woke culture and and uh, federal controls. So it's not like anybody should be turning their back on these great states, but in the short term, I feel like the freedom-minded states that are aware of the value of the Bill of Rights and the history there should be fortifying their position on that. <laughs> and then if they can invite the states that have lost their way severely you know, into some kind of cooperation down the road. I think that's great. Anyway, not that I have all the answers, but this is just kind of envisioning how things could play out from here. DC obviously is a problem. Federal, almost anything is a problem or has proven themselves, uh, especially regulatory agencies, captured regulatory. Anyway, um, I've been having this thought. It's really only partially baked so far, but I'll try and share it here and hopefully develop it over time. But there's two uh, behaviors that really seem to keep coming up on the dark side, if you can call it that. Um, one is elitism, 
and the other is revolution. And uh, revolution to me, and I, and my my thought is, I can you can often see these happening at a very micro level. So uh, to me, you could see a parent who's imposing ridiculous uh, rules on their children. And I, I could see this as elitism. I mean, this is a parent wanting to impose the fact that they're they're a step above. You know, it's really awful. Uh, but I think the catchphrase that that rings true in that way of thinking is, uh, "Truth is the opinion of the powerful." So it it's trying to sidestep the idea of reason and collaboration, and and the the truthful exchange of logos basically um and just claim because i said so <laughs> yeah um and so that's the uh, that's the elitism side of things to me the revolutionary side of things um e michael jones has done a huge volume of work three volumes on the jewish revolutionary spirit um but i can see revolution at, at a micro level happening as well and that is uh, when someone sees progress happening, I don't know exactly where it's coming from, if it's envy or jealousy, or they just they just don't want other people to progress. I don't know exactly, <laughs> but I've seen it at very, very micro levels, even at a family level. When good things are happening, uh, one family member can deliberately throw a spanner into the works to try and interfere with progress. It can happen. Um, and but at the macro level this is uh man i i see it happening I've, I've seen it happening well i went myself i had a meeting at a mexican consulate the people i was dealing with without asking any questions just wanted to interfere with the progress i mean this often happens in government agencies that happened at the zambian border to me as well uh, I don't understand it. I don't understand. I guess if you're going through airport security and you happen to get an agent that wants to interfere with your trip, you know, that's that's what's happening. It's like this really micro-revolutionary, like they something happening inside them, they get a chance to interfere with your progress, they're going to do it, you know? That's what, that's what I think is happening. But at the elitism level... Uh, you can definitely see it's subtle. It's subtle uh, in the countries I used to live in, the uh, Arab cultures, um, Dubai and Bahrain and Saudi. It's baked into their ethos. Even though there was a time, there was a time with Islam, it, I don't think it was all the way the way it is now. But right now, truth is the opinion of the powerful. If the king says it, conversations over i mean that's generally the way they believe so just as an example um last year was it last year you know two years ago it must have been 2019 the taxi drivers in dubai they're you know they're all coming from poorer nations probably third world nations working their butts off uh helping dubai thrive helping obviously travelers and uh, businesses progress in dubai well over time, the taxi drivers, very motivated group of people, uh, get together, start coordinating and organize to buy some office buildings in Dubai as an investment, as a group. Well, 
the ruling class of Dubai didn't like this. <laughs> Next thing you know, the taxi drivers are required to drive 12 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop, without stop. Um, if they have to, if they need a break, they have to call in sick and then go like three days without pay. It's just an example of, uh, that's an example of two things. Truth is the opinion of the powerful and revolution trying to, trying to interfere with some, another group's progress. Okay. Before I cut over to talk about the film and the clip at the end. Uh, I think the best hope for USA right now, I, I'm really discouraged by, I've traveled through how many states, maybe 15 states. I tried to try to avoid the ones that are most strict around Corona rules and, and gravitate to ones that are most free. Um, but there's so much confusion out there. Uh, I, I, it feels clear to me that you're being flanked. You're being flanked. I mean, I guess it's ideological subversion, but you're being flanked from all sides and leading towards a communist mentality. I hate to say it, but that's what they're trying. That's what it seems like is being trying to be done. So at the same time, there's lots of great people doing great work. I wish for USA that the schools and the teachers and the parents can remember what it is that's made USA so great and can recommit themselves <laughs> to that history and the ethos, if I could say, I mean, the, the slogans that come to mind for me is uh, live free or die, um, God, country, and family, and the Bill of Rights. The other thing that's like so subversive is, and there, I mean, this is spilled over to USA, or I mean to Canada, and I've even heard some in Australia, but they've used the Trump Association to be such an emotional, uh, polarizing brand, if you will, that it's like driving a wedge between left and right and probably ages as well. So badly, you can't even talk. I mean, as soon as, oh, anyway, I mean, the idea that uh, patriotism is associated with Trump and therefore it's bad, for example, I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyway, what I would love to see for USA is the moderate left and the moderate right just joining arms, realizing you're being flanked. You're being flanked. They're trying. They're trying to take over by ideological subversion from all sides, and recommit yourselves to what you have in common. Decide you can fight about Monica Gate some other time, <laughs> and just recommit yourselves to the foundation that's made America great up until this point. And I think there's a lot around the Bill of Rights that both left and right can agree on. And when freedom and um, and the amendments get tied together. Once, once your arms are locked, then people can't come between you and do this subversive tactics. But in the meantime, oh my God, it's easy to have people fighting or not talking at all. And both, both weaken you.
Okay, so I just, in terms of this film, like I said, it, I was drawn to it because of the whistleblower story. And I remembered some of the arguments, even that I used in the intro there. But what I didn't remember was like the last 40 minutes of the movie, the Al Pacino character, uh, Lowell Bergman, I think he is the real life character. Um, Jeff Wigand is the whistleblower, played by Russell Crowe. Well, the Al Pacino character, to me, he goes scorched earth on his own employer because what he decides is most important to him and who he is is his own integrity. Um, and he humiliates his employer and some of his coworkers and even Mike Wallace by exposing how they had caved to corporate pressure um, from corporate lawyers, basically. And it's just such a fantastic uh, demonstration of integrity. The Russell Crowe character, Jeff Wigand, no question, he shows uh, tremendous cojones in what he did. But then the really cool thing is the Al Pacino character backs him up because he feels he feels like his integrity is in the line um, from what they did with, with Wigand. Uh, so it just reminded me that, and this is what, uh, this is another subversion that's just being lost. It just blows me away. If you're a journalist and you chronically violate journalistic ethics, you're not a journalist anymore. <laughs> if you're a doctor and you violate your oath, you're not a doctor anymore. Lawyer, same thing. I, I don't understand how anybody can claim themselves career successful and wake up every morning and violate the oaths of their career. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, that's just the fastest way to be completely lost in your life. I don't really know how, I mean, that's what professional associations are supposed to be for. If a doctor is out there violating his oath, I mean, Dr. Gupta on CNN, he should have been publicly shamed and dr uh, fauci i don't know how the medical associations aren't like publicly destroying their that person's professional credibility and removing their license in a spectacle i don't know how that's not happening when did professional associations that are supposed to be defending the ethics and integrity of the profession when did they get corrupted by I don't know what, fame and money, and I don't know what else. Blackmail? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know how Gupta and Fauci still have their license. Uh, the medical associations, um, the licensing boards, should be ashamed of themselves for allowing that. <clears throat> how hard can that be? you got a group of doctors that have sworn an oath, uh, the Hippocratic Oath. How can they not just agree to take the license away from Fauci and Gupta. I don't know. I don't know how that's not happening. But uh, same thing with journalism. Why is there not some kind of journalistic integrity policing what's happening? It just It's just absolutely shocking to me. I'll try not to ruin it for you, but in the last 40 minutes of The Insider, Al, Pacino see, Al Pacino's character sees what's happened, that basically corporate interests um, CBS was for sale. There was there was the lawyers had actual 
capital value at stake for the sale and if there was going to be a lawsuit from tobacco from big tobacco it was going to affect the, the their capital gains essentially and he doubled down on his integrity as a reporter he's a producer and decided to shame his own co-workers his own bosses into giving in to corporate interests to try and improve their stock price it was really incredible um, that he that he took everything that he's good at and like i said went scorched earth on his own employer by using his network and connections with the wall street journal with new york times um, with the associated press and humiliated his management for for betraying their own journalistic integrity i i mean i think mike wallace probably had an incredible career but all i remember <laughs> of mike wallace unfortunately is the role he played in this movie and he even kind of came out okay in the end but he really betrayed uh his journalistic integrity at one point when the corporate pressure came on and so that's what I always remembered about this film. Anyhow, it was a fantastic walk down memory lane. And I have a very good friend who watches CBS News to this day. Del Bigtree left CBS News to do the show he's doing now. So I know, and I knew, I remembered this film. I know CBS News has been corrupted. And I'm trying to tell my friend that watches CBS News as his source of reality. Like, it was amazing. <laughs> It was an Oscar winner. They they were telling everybody that they've been corrupted. I mean, it's here as plain as day. Uh, but anyway, people can only handle so much truth. Some people can handle only so much truth. Anyhow, the at the end, I what I did was I tacked on what I thought was such an outstanding interview. It's, the woman's name is Gemma O'Doherty um, in Ireland. The entire talk with Michael Jones was excellent. She, the questions she was asking, uh, helped Michael Jones summarize his history of body of work. Of course, I mean he's done a, a lot, but he, but within an hour she was able to get him to put a lot of the primary pieces together um, in this podcast uh, on what's led up to the situation now. And then the piece I tack on at the end is the dynamics of what's happening in Ireland and and Ireland is buckled it's oh my gosh it's the same problem we're all having in in the developed countries um, but Ireland just so small and it has been so Catholic and they had such a proud history it's just you can see as plain as day um, but it's articulated really nicely between those two so I, I probably don't need to try but you can see as plain as day how they've been corrupted by um, the big corporate interests by modernism and liberalism and money <laughs> so the, the summary is outstanding anyhow i just wanted to check back in uh to report that i'm alive and well and uh, i have shifted my own viewpoint to focus on finding a, a, a sovereign free constitutional county where i can i don't have to go off grid hopefully i can just go on grid <laughs> that's the hope anyhow um nice to reconnect i hope to make it a more of a regular thing all right take care enjoy
McDougall, and as painful as it is, Logos is definitely rising. Would you explain that? The same people, right? The Yes, there's a whole chapter in uh, the Jewish revolutionary spirit about the rise, the rise of Freemasonry. Okay, it was uh, there were there were Masonic groups who actually built buildings in the Middle Ages, but this whole thing got weaponized when the Whig oligarchs took over the Masonic lodges in the 1720s, and it became a, a, an operation, uh, basically the psychological warfare arm of the uh, the British the British Empire, and so they set up uh, Whig uh, Whig. Masonic lodges in Europe. Okay. Uh, they set one up in Hamburg. Hamburg has always been an Anglophile German city. Uh, and uh, uh, they said, uh, the Hamburg group said, uh, we're not going to let Jews in. The British overruled them. The Grand Lodge and so on. They said, no, you have to admit Jews. So we're talking about uh, a subversive agent. The same thing happened in France. The Masonic Lodge became the uh, basically the arm of uh, British uh, warfare against the French, and eventually they succeeded in bringing down the the Bourbon monarchy and establishing the the rule of uh, Freemasonry and capitalism in, in Europe as a result of that. So it was it, it developed out of that that type of collaboration. Uh, and it's it still is working that way today. The, the Masonic lodges ran the United States of America. Uh, I don't think that's the case anymore. I, I, the uh, Phil, Philip, uh, the Duke of Orleans, who was the cousin of the king, changed his name to Philippe Egalité. Uh, he had to write a memoir before they chopped off his head, and he said that Freemasonry is to revolution like the candle to the sun. And when the sun of revolution rises, you don't need the candle anymore. And so I guess the classic, he's talking about the French revolution, but obviously the Russian revolution is another example of precisely that. That type of ferocious revolution makes Freemasonry, the subversion of Freemasonry unnecessary. And I think the same thing applies to the United States. Uh, basically, we have the revolutionaries running the show now. The, they, the Biden yeah. administration has so many Jews in the cabinet, they could have a minion. They, went, they could have a, their own prayer service because they have uh, more than 10 Jews in the cabinet. This is the hidden grammar of uh, the United States politics, and we have to talk about it. Because if we don't talk about it, then they are going to win. It's that simple. I think the significance of the Freemason that the, the, the Freemasonry is that at a local level, it's very influential because it targets the different professions, such as the law, the police, the, and infiltrates them and gets these guys signed in before they know it. They're being blackmailed. They're, you know, being, um, you know, th there's hookers put on their way. There's lines of cocaine and then they've got them. So Ireland has, I believe, the highest number of Freemason lodges in the world per capita even though it's all underground, a lot of it. But that's how they get them at a, a local organic grassroots level. And then it goes right up. It goes up to the yeah. judiciary, obviously to I, I, government. I'm not, 
I'm not trying to minimize the pernicious influence of Freemasonry. It had a horrendous effect in South America. Mexico, uh, to this day, is basically uh, run by uh, Freemasons uh, to the detriment of the Mexican people who are overwhelmingly Catholic. So I, I'm not trying to denigrate. I'm just saying that we're at a much more advanced stage. It may be in certain localities. That's the case. My my uh, my father-in-law was a Freemason. Uh, I don't. He was not a revolutionary by any stretch of the imagination. And and at, at a certain point, I think he had trouble finding successors because in Philadelphia, people weren't joining the Masonic Lodge anymore. Uh, it, mm. it just just it's just what happened there. You know, but I suppose when you tie that in with the bankers and the people who are really controlling everyone, the Zionists, it's you know, it it's on a local level that there are these levels of control. Right. And right. Then See, one of the things I don't understand is how can uh, Ireland be so anti-Zionist and so supportive of the Palestinian people and not understand that there is. Uh, another element to Jewish subversion that is always Marxist and, and in many ways the opposite of Zionism is the Zionist Marxist quarrels and intra-Jewish quarrel. How come the Irish only see one side of the story? How come they only see the Zionist side? I, I met with, when I was in Tehran, I met with Mick and Claire, I forget, two Irish politicians. I think they're, they're from Daily Dublin. Yeah, but they I mean, they'd be hardcore leftists now. They'd be, Mar they'd be you know, very lefty. Yes. So they don't understand that there is a, a, a subversive yeah. element. Uh, they don't understand that the Jews control the left as well as much as Zionism or that it doesn't bother them. I don't understand this. I, 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 it's a mystery to me. They do, No, they're, they're not sophisticated enough, I'm afraid, in their thinking, but also they're cowards. They're cowards because they don't want to be called you know, anti-Semites and, but they have to push Islam, Islam. It's not even about, they don't care about Palestinians. I don't think they have to be seen to be pushing Islam because that's going to be the new religion. And we know that that is also funded by the Zionists. So, uh, and they have to be, you know, completely uh, uh, like pushing the globalist agenda, but also to be seen to be defending international causes and, why don't they see this influence domestically? And are they all on board with this? I guess they are, because sexual liberation became part of the left. That's the, the tragedy of the left over the course of the 20th century, when everybody stopped talking about economics on the left and everybody started talking about sex. And that's all they talked about. But and that's what like the left is now. That's it. That's what it is. They're porn, but they're pedophiles. They're depraved. I'm not talking specifically about Michael uh, Mick Wallace and Claire Daly, but it's anything but Catholicism because Catholicism was so bad and it was so repressed. It's much better to teach four-year-olds about masturbation. This is really going to develop their intellect, teaching them, yeah. you know, to have sex with themselves. This is really highbrow yeah. civilization, Michael. Did you not know that? I must have missed that. Uh, yeah, that no. I, I didn't and get that memo. Is, so like I didn't get that memo. There's another tragic figure, Terry Eagleton, the Marxist professor at uh, at uh, Oxford, uh, wrote a biography, autobiography about what it was like to be an altar boy in Ireland, 
And then, so how did you go from being an older boy to this flaming Marxist professor? Well, the short answer to that question is sex. It's that simple. It's in his autobiography. This is what wrecked this class of people. This is what wrecked this class. Uh, it wrecked the Irish. It wrecked America. It wrecked the church in America. And it's time we woke up and understood Wilhelm Reich. We got to wake up. He was on the cover of the New York Times magazine in 1970. This is what happened. This is why the sex, sexual revolution is so important, because it led from a coherent Irish Catholic culture into this COVID colony, Google, run by Google and Facebook, uh, which John Waters has talked about eloquently. Oh, yeah. You know, I was talking to a young man the other day. And he was telling me that he's trying to get a mortgage. But because his wife stays at home with their four children, the bank will not give him a mortgage. Oh, this is outrageous. Isn't this sickening? This but, is you know, but I explained it to him. But this is about the destruction of your family. They want your wife out at work so that they can come in and maybe take your children from you if you're going to be awkward squad or stand up against them. And I tried to explain to him that women were put into the workforce in order to reduce men's wages, more right. slaves for the banks, for the capitalists, communists, they're all the one. And then the state could move in on the children and take over their education and brainwash them into good little socialists, good little communists. But this is how sickening it is. Well, the banks that was, are working to demolish the family. You mean, and, and did he understand what you were saying? I think he got it. I think he got it. Yeah. You know, when you say like white Irish men, I can't believe I have to say white Irish men because you cannot be anything other than white if you're Irish. But um, and I, like, that's just a fact. But, they have been so attacked as American, white, white, straight American men have been and, you know, all men in the West. But they are so down. They're so browbeaten. They're so just totally disillusioned and they're not allowed to speak. They're not allowed to be men. And no. when you say to them, look, women like me believe that the most important role of a woman is to be a mother. It's if you are a mother and you've been blessed with children, the greatest job and career you can do is to be with your children until they are fully grown. And when you tell, say that to Irish men, they think, really? You actually think that? Yes. And that's what most women know instinctively, that they should be at home with their children. The, the great achievement after World War II in America was the widespread implementation of the family wage. The family wage. By that, we mean a man earns enough money to support his wife who can stay at home and raise the children. If you don't have a family wage, you will end up like Florence uh, in, the in the 15th century which became a museum because the, the working class could not reproduce. There was no generation. They could not afford to have children. The wages were too low. This is precisely what happened to America. Okay. When they abolished the family wage, 
when they started loading down these companies with debt and outsourcing through le leveraged buyouts, they destroyed the manufacturing base of America. And now China is the leading manufacturing country. In the Now, I, I, again, it's the same group of people. This was Wall Street that did it. There's a certain group that dominates Wall Street. They had names like Bosky and, and uh, Michael Milliken during the 1980s, and they are responsible for this catastrophe. They are also responsible for promoting feminism. Feminism is nothing more than the destruction of the family wage. They come up with phrases like equal pay for equal work. Who can argue with that? Well, yeah, the argument is the family wage, because if the woman can't raise uh, can't stay home and raise her children, then people are not going to have children. Because if both people are working, you can't. You don't have time to have children. And maybe you'll have one or two and put them in a daycare center and the state will raise them. And that will be the end of your culture. Well, and also it'll be the end of your happiness because if the state raises them, they're going to turn into complete disasters. They're going to think that, you know, well, they'll have gender confusion. They'll want to have abort, abort, abort. They won't be able to have a stable married life. So you, your children will be children forever if the state is raising them in state schools. Whereas if you are at home raising them, teaching them the culture, the culture of your parents and your grandparents, well, then you will have happy little children who will grow up into happy adults and might actually even look after you in your old age, which would be something rather than being dumped into a nursing home, which will happen if you keep your children in state schools. That's right. So there's huge benefits to all of this, Michael. Huge, enormous benefits. Yeah. But people will learn the hard way. Experience keeps an expensive school, but fools will learn in no other. And so Ireland has now been through the expensive school, the expensive school of, exper of experience. And now we're not going to talk about the theoretical realm. We're talking about actual empirical facts that you are slaves now. You have been enslaved and you gave up your heritage, your Catholic heritage. And now what do you have? Debt, uh, transgenderism, uh, a homosexual tisic. Actually, I hear he's being investigated for some type of some type of fraud or other. Maybe I'm. He's Indian as well. Don't forget uh, that. Bit. Yes. Anyway, so it's it's not as if we have to make and say if you do this, this will happen in the future. The future has already happened. All you have to do is look around, and that's that's true. As true of Germany, it's true of the entire West, which is what we were talking about at the beginning.
Push yourself to 